Heavenly Father, today as we continue on this journey on generosity and journey with discipleship, I ask that you will speak to our hearts and challenge us and move us and and change us. Do whatever you have to to push us along on that journey. God bless us now. Speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite parts of my job is doing premarital counseling. It's part of, uh, I have this pastoral marital policy. If people come to ask me, they, they say, will you do our wedding? I'll say, hey, here's the pastoral wedding policy, and if you can agree to all this, then I'm happy to. And one of those things is premarital counseling. Whether it's from, by me or somebody else, we, they've got to do it in order for me to, to do their wedding. And I love doing it. It's such a blessing to, to be with couples and interact with them and, and see God moving them closer and closer together. And oftentimes, at some point or another, we will end up talking about the book, The Five love languages. I'm sure some of you have read it. If you're married and you haven't read it, you should read it because it will really bless your marriage. Dr. Gary Chapman, he's a researcher and an author. He researched the love languages. That means what language you feel loved by. And he came up with five different love languages. Here they are. See if you can find one that fits you. It's this one. Words of affirmation. That's somebody saying how wonderful you are or that they, they love you, that, that you're doing great. Here's one. This to me is, this is the hardest one. It happens to be my wife's. Quality time. <laughs> somebody said, woo, that's mine too, yeah. Man, that's the hard one. You can't, it's not a quick fix. It's just, it's hanging out for hours and hours of quality time. <laughs> I'm in trouble. I'm just going to stay up here and preach the rest of the day. (laughs) Uh, Here's another one. Receiving gifts. Some people just feel loved when they receive gifts. Here's another one. Acts of service. This one is a very good one if you like words of affirmation because it kind of works both ways. You do acts of service and you get thanked for it, and it's a win-win. Here's another one. Physical touch. This is the last one. Physical touch. Holding hands, putting your arm around someone, just being close, physical touch. Everybody's got a love language. Everybody has one. Uh, Mine is words of affirmation. And honestly, 90% of men, this is what yours is too. In fact, women, you have it easy. I mean, all you have to do is say, honey, I'm proud of you. You did a good job at that. I'm so glad that I married you. You're so wonderful. Done. Check. He feels loved. Women, as usual, are a little more complicated. (laughs) I have no ideas what theirs are, so guys, you're on your own. Good luck. There's one thing that Dr. Chapman forgot. He gave five, but I think there's at least six, because I've seen this one over and over again. It's not receiving gifts. It's the love language of giving gifts. Maybe you know some people that are like that, too. And in fact, when people tell me like, oh, no, no, my love language is giving gifts, I I always tend to say, oh, you mean receiving gifts? And they say, no, 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 no. It's giving gifts. I know a couple people that are like that. One is my sister, my sister Mindy. She's awesome, best sister in the world. She lives up in Chicago. Her love language is giving gifts. She likes to celebrate every time she comes and sees my boys. She has gifts, packaged, wrapped. She gives them every single time because she feels love when she gives other people gifts. It's cool. Here's another one that you know very closely. Here's a picture of her on the screen. This is someone that is a, ah, 
Yeah, you might have known that Pastor Jennifer, her love language is giving gifts. She's a great friend to have, y'all. She continually hooks me up with stuff. I mean, anything from candy to gift cards to whatever. She just wants to give stuff away. She's, she's fantastic. In fact, she's uh, on vacation for fall break right now. I know that they watched first service. Pastor Jennifer, you might be watching online. I'm so grateful for you and your gift-giving love language. She loves to give gifts. She'll give gift cards to, to her volunteers. She'll give candy gifts to the kids. She's so good at it. In fact, the very first Sabbath that my family was here at Forest Lake, we were super incognito. You didn't know we were here, but we were here. We were checking y'all out. We were, gonna, we were gonna interview with the board that night. We came in the very front, before we even got to the front door of the church, Pastor Jennifer was there. She had two canvas bags with the children's ministry logo plastered on the front. They were personalized with my children's names on the top. And inside those canvas bags were all sorts of goodies. Oh, there were snacks. There were coloring books. There were activity books. And there were Legos. Do you boys remember this? Oh, yeah. What boy doesn't love Legos? She gave these gifts, and I thought, man, this church is a generous church. They know how to love. In fact, Pastor Jennifer understands that it is better to give than to receive. She understands the you first, me second principle. In fact, Jesus puts it just like that. Paul quotes him. Here it is in Acts chapter 20. Here are the words of Jesus. It'll be on the screen here in a minute. Jesus says, it's more blessed to give than to receive which goes against everything that we know as Americans. It's so much better to give than to receive. That's the heart of the gospel message. You first, me second. It's the heart of discipleship too, guys. It's where we feel God's love and we give it away because that's what disciples do. Paul, the world's greatest church planter, he's been busy. He's been going to locations and meeting with people and sharing the gospel message, and they've accepted it in their hearts, and they plant a little church, but he doesn't stop there because there's a greater picture than just one local church, and so he, he goes to another place, and he, he gets some people excited, and he tells the gospel to them, and they plant a church, and he keeps moving around, and as he moves, he always writes letters back to the churches that are planted because he loves the people, and he wants them to flourish and grow, and so he continues to write letters back to the people. Now, here's what's happening. In, in a similar way, our Seventh-day Adventist church structure is many churches across the globe that's sharing a mission. Paul's churches that he's planted are all together too. Many churches on a mission, one mission moving together. In fact, at this point in time, they're on one mission that's collecting money. They want to spread the gospel. They're collecting money to give it away to other people. And what I think is a little funny is that there is a competition that's happening between the local churches. It's interesting. All the churches are kind of looking at each other, wondering, hey, maybe we can outdo them. There's this saturation of little churches all over the place, and they're a little competitive. Now, the Adventist church is kind of similar to this. In fact, there are clusters of churches all over the place in places like Collegedale, Tennessee, Loma Linda, Berrien Springs, but even outside of the Adventist clusters, you've got large cities, and it's kind of um, a, a whole bunch of churches, and people pick and choose what they like, who's preaching that day, what the music's going to be like that day, and it's not a healthy thing, let's be honest, 
And sometimes, even in places like Atlanta or Chicago or even Orlando, there are competitions between churches. Now, competition can be good or it can be bad, but I'm proud to say that here in Orlando, there is a budding friendship and relationship that's happening in a group that I like to call the Big Four. Markham Woods, Spring Meadows, Whole Life Church, and Forest Lake. Uh, the senior pastors of these churches have decided, hey, we're on the same team, we're on the same mission, let's get together and let's move together. In fact, we meet every single month for lunch together. In fact, I've put off other people so that I can go to that lunch because it's so important to me. In fact, here's a picture of the, uh, the four guys. It's not the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Just four senior pastors. It's kind of weird that I'm the short guy in these men. Look at there. Brian Castle on the right from Spring Meadows. What an unbelievable man. Uh, Baldy there. And then you got Ken Wetmore from Whole Life Church. And you got Doug Hart from Markham Woods. All great dudes. We spend time eating together, talking together, laughing together, dreaming together, thinking about how we can work together, how, how the, the, the struggles in their church and how it happens in this church and how we talk through. It's, it's awesome. And if there's any kind of competition that happens in between our churches, it has nothing to do with church membership. It only has to do with how many people you can take to the kingdom. That's the competition that we're in. And Paul's newly planted local churches all over the place are having a competition. They're raising money together. They're, they have one purpose and one cause. They're gathering money, funds, to send to the poor in Jerusalem. It's a good cause. And all the churches are getting behind it. And it's funny to me how people, when they hear something, they all jump on board. Maybe it's fear of missing out. They all get on board and move forward together. And if you've got your Bibles with you, you can follow along in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we're starting in verse 1. If you are new to church and you've never been in a church and this is your first day in church, there's a Bible in front of you. It's the blue book. You can open it up and follow along on page 820 and you can read the words that I'm reading too. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're starting in verse 1. Now here's this, what's interesting. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth but he's talking about other churches in Macedonia, of this grouping of churches, probably Philippi and Thessal Th uh, Thessalonica, and he's talking about them and what they're doing in this fundraising campaign of all the groups. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Give me an amen if you're there. Ooh, that's pretty strong. All right, here we go. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. Here's what it says. Paul writes, And now, brothers and sisters... We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Pause there for a minute. Paul shares what's happening in the sister church. He says, church in Corinth, I want you to be aware of what's happening in Macedonia, what the churches over there are doing. In fact, they're going through something big. It's painful, it hurts, it's ugly, it might be political, it might be drama, who knows what it is, but it's painful. And he says, out of their pain, they're turning it into generosity. Uh, as I've thought about this thought between first service and second service this morning, third service, I thought there's probably people here this morning that are in pain, that are hurting. I don't know what it looks like. And I wonder to myself, how can you take your hurt and your pain 
and turn it into generosity because that's what disciples do. They take a you-first, me-second approach to everything in life. How can you take pain like the Macedonians and turn it into generosity? Paul says they gave as much as they could. They even gave beyond what they could. In fact, in verse 4, it says that they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service of the Lord. That says that they, they said, no, 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 I want to be a part of this. I may not be able to, but I want to do it, so I'm going to be a part of it. And I wonder how often do we make excuses about not doing something because we don't want to do it. Uh, they could have made an excuse. They could have said, we got lots of pain happening in our, in our church, or we don't have enough money in our church. Yet they said, I want to be a part of the group that's moving forward on the single mission that's in front of us. I want to be a part of a group because there's safety in groups. There's power in groups. When we move together as a group, we win. As I was thinking about this concept of moving forward as a group, uh, it might have been because it was really early in the morning and I was sleepy, or maybe I was desperate for an illustration, or maybe I was just thinking about the kids that are in here, but I was reminded of a commercial from a company called, ooh, let me think of their name, The uh, Line, or in English you'd say The Line. It's a Flemish company. It's a bus transportation company. And they're, they're, they're advertising to get people to not take their own cars, but to get together in a group. Let's all get together. Let's all move forward. Let's all go as one. And they've created several commercials that I think are hysterical. I, I don't know if there's any value in the sermon from this other than maybe a cheap laugh. I don't know if I really care either. But I think they're hilar- their, their commercials are hilarious. And they show the value of togetherness. Their tagline is this. It's safer to travel in groups. So I've got three of their short commercials. Um, Let's just watch them and laugh. Here's another one. much TV as you're allowed on Sabbath. That's it. <laughs> there's, there's safety in groups, and I believe there's power in groups. When the church gets together and they move forward together, there's power that's unstoppable. I've watched it in our church. I've watched it from the very first Sabbath that I ever got here, July 10. It's, it seems like a long time ago, but it's only a couple of months ago. 
And uh, there, there's several people that give me a hard time. Julie Alvarez, our uh, children's story today, she was, she's one of them. She keeps track. She says, Pastor Matt, there's at least one restaurant that you mention in every one of your sermons. It's true. Today was the grapevine. If you haven't gone, you need to go. And I, I've thought about this. It's often that we see this influx of people that go to these restaurants. It feels like a commercial, a promo up here. Pastor Tim and I were talking this last week, and uh, he said, well, maybe we should strategize these things. Maybe we should pick, have, a, have a, a plan on who we're going to promote a little bit. I think Zaza should be given free potlucks to our church by now, don't you think so? Or Arepas Cafe, I know that when our church said, let's go and support them and, and say we're from the Forest Lakes of the Adventist Church, I know their business went up because they've talked about it because there's power in groups and when the people move together, there's power behind it. And the churches in Macedonia, they came together and the churches in the whole region, they came together as a group to compile their resources to do something powerful for God. And Paul, he talks about what they did in verse 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5, let's see how their fundraising went. It says this, Paul says, and they, that's the churches in Macedonia, exceeded our expectations. Woo, pause there for a minute. You've got a group of people that are in pain, that don't have funds, that don't have whatever they need, yet they give beyond what they need, and they exceed the expectations of everybody. That's cool. Here's the rest. He says, they gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. Let me say it again. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. Paul, in my opinion, he gives us a formula of what a you first, me second disciple looks like. Here's what it is. Put it on the screen. Paul says that they gave themselves to God first, and then others second. Him first, Others second, and if you want to fill in the puzzle, here's the last part of it, you last. Others first, me second. You first, me second. You want to grow as a disciple? Live as Paul says. God first, others second, you last. Paul takes it another level and he pushes our generosity. Continue down through the chapter, going to chapter 9, we get to verse 6, and here's what he says. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Paul says, Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Man, those are some powerful words about generosity. He says, you sow, you, you sow generously, you reap generously. You sow measly, you reap measly. He says, you'll have everything that you need, which almost sounds like a prosperity gospel. Give and God will bless you. But do you just see the difference that he puts in here about uh, not giving under compulsion, but giving as a cheerful giver? See, that's the difference between have to and get to. So oftentimes I think that we are have to Christians, where we come and we warm pews, instead of thinking, man, I get to be a part of something that's bigger than me. I want to do it. 
I don't give, I don't pay tithe, I give tithe. I don't pay church budget, I give it. Because it's what you can do, which you're, it's your, it's your, the joy that you get, a cheerful joy. How's your heart this morning? Is it a joy to be a part of the body of believers that gets together every week to worship God collectively? Or is it something that you have to do because your wife makes you? Do you crave Sabbath morning to be here and participate? Or is it just a burden? Do you only ever come because you have to or because you get to? Do you give because you get to or because you have to? Where's your heart this morning? Paul gives us one more nugget to chew on this morning. We'll read this application story and then we're done. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 11, here's what he says. He says, you, Forest Lake Seventh-day Adventist Church, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. I'm going to read it again. He says, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Boy, those are some strong words. And I think this is the core of generosity, and it's the core of generosity. It's like Paul says, you are blessed, you are rich, you have possessions, you have a stocked pantry, you got nice clothes, you got money to pay for pedicures, you got money to go golfing, you got a nice car, and you got a beautiful home, and you have all that so that you can give it all away. That's so hard for me to comprehend. It's not, it's not only hard for me to comprehend, but it's hard for my selfish heart to understand it. I have what I have so that I can give it away. I mean, that's crazy talk. Those are fighting words to me. Those are fighting words for my heart because in the culture and society that I live in, it's always me first. It's always what can I do to bless me in my own life? How, how can I get my own opinion through? How can I, how can I get my way? When disciples say, no, 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 it's you first, it's me second, I have everything I have so that I can give it away. And I have to do it in every area of my life in order for me to grow as a disciple. See, I think oftentimes when we think of generosity, we only focus on money. And we've talked about money over the last several weeks, and that's a huge part of it, but I almost think that money is the cheap cop-out. Uh, it's, it's a good thing. I mean, our, our wallets really tell us how your, how your relationship with Jesus is. Your budget does. It shows you how it is. But I don't want to talk about money this morning. What I really want to talk about is something that's way more expensive, and it's your time. Man, we live in a society that is so rat race. You get up in the morning, you yell at your kids to get ready for school, you drop the kids off at school, then you go to your job, or you go to the office, or you, go to, you go wherever you get, doctor's appointments, you got to go shopping because we all got to do that. We, we, we barely even have time to eat. We run in and we eat fast food because that's all we have time for. And we only have time to just look in the rearview mirror and make sure there's no food in our teeth before we go to our next appointment. It's just nonstop. Time is the most valuable commodity on the planet. And sometimes I think it's easier to be generous with money than it is to be generous with time. You know, as, as I was thinking about this, I, I rem was reminded of a story in the New Testament 
Jesus comes to town. He's there to, to visit with Mary and Martha. And he, as he comes into the, the home, they're, they're just finishing wrapping up. They're getting things clean. You know, Martha's over there. She's baking a lasagna. She's getting things ready. And Mary, she was helping, but now Jesus is there. And so she sits at his feet and she listens to him. And, and Martha's scurrying about and she's trying to get it all ready. And at some point, Martha comes over to Mary and she says, Mary, I need your help. And Jesus, without any condemnation and no judgment, he just says, Martha, Mary's chosen what is better, what is best. Mary chose to sit with Jesus and the time, and as time is the rarest commodity that we ever have, are you being generous with it? How generous are you with your own time? There's several people in our church that I find to be you first, me second people that are generous with their time. And uh, two of them are young men in our church. The first one is this guy. His name is Cameron Payne. I don't have a picture of him. I, don't, I looked on Facebook. He's not on Facebook. He's a student over at Forest Lake Academy. And if you come through the front doors of our church on any, any given Sabbath, you are likely to see him standing there. He's a strong, tall, good-looking bloke. He's standing there, and he's greeting every single Sabbath. And I rewind back to when I was in high school. Man, the, the last thing I wanted to do on a Saturday morning is to get up early to smile and greet people. I want to be in bed sleeping. And here he is because he understands that it's you first, me second, even with time. And he comes every single week. In fact, props to his dad, Justin. I know they're not here today. They may be uh, on fall break, whatnot. But props to you, Justin, if you're watching online for being a dad that prioritizes your kid and, and being a you first, me second kid. The second one is this. Uh, you, you probably know him because he's always up front. In fact, the last two Sabbaths he's been here. Two Sabbaths ago, he was sitting right here playing the trumpet. Last Sabbath, he was behind the keyboard. His name is Felipe da Silva. What a great dude. He's, he's at FLA as well. He's an awesome guy. This last summer, Sandra, his mom, is our realtor, and she, she was driving us around. The very first day we ever met her, we're driving around looking at houses, and a phone call, call came in on her, uh, whatever, Apple CarPlay, and, and, and it comes up, and she says, oh, I need to take this. And we say, go right ahead, it's fine. And she takes it, and, it's, and she has to figure out how to get her son, Felipe, to go over to Gift and Thrift, which is our community service center right here on our campus. He, it's, it's not something that she made him do, it's something that he chose to do. He had lots of chores. He's got to clean the pool and got to do the dishes and got to do all these other things. But because he understands that disciples are you first and me second, even with your time, he says, I'm going to go serve at Gift and Thrift. Isn't that cool? Man, we should take a lesson from the young men in our church. What awesome disciples of Jesus. Here's the, here's the next one. Speaking of Gift and Thrift, if you haven't gone down there to see what happens, you need to. Because these people that serve there Man, what a, what a gross job. I mean, there's a bin where people throw their clothes in there, their dirty clothes. Uh, who knows if they've been washed? I mean, somebody's going to throw in their underwear in there. It's gross. And yet they go through these clothes and, and clean them and wash them, whatever they have to do, iron them. They look for, for tears and spots and get rid of those. And they do this because they know that twice a week on, on, on our campus, Hundreds of people flock in to get help with clothes, with furniture. They need financial help. And the people that work there understand that it's you first, me second, especially with my time. In fact, last week I got a chance to eat with a few of them. Here's a picture of us. There's several pastors in this picture that we, we had pizza. There's way more that served than, than were in this picture, but they were busy serving while we were eating pizza. So I only got a few of them in there. But let me tell you, this group of people, they understand to put others first and them 
second. This whole month of October, as we've been focusing on generosity, as we've been going through this Youth First series, we've been focusing on an organization, Commission 127. You heard uh, in the prayer this morning, heard us talking about it a little bit. If you don't know what they are, I'll give you a quick snapshot. They are the closest nonprofit that I could find to our church. They're right here in our community. Uh, They take foster, they take churches, and they help wrap their arms around foster families in the community. So here's their little diagram. Here's what they use. Here it is on the screen for you. They take churches, they connect the volunteers in the churches, and then they connect them with the foster families by by means of a family advocacy ministry. It's pretty simple. The churches form a ministry, they give the names of the families, the church wraps their arms around these families and, and, and supports them. Maybe you just have playdates with their kids. Maybe you bring them a meal. Maybe you just call and check on them. You build a relationship with them. Maybe you go over there and you say, I'm going to watch your kids while mom and dad, while you guys can go and you can enjoy a date night. Whatever it is, you're supporting, you're being a church to these families that are really doing the hard work of fostering kids. Now this whole month, we've been raising money for them, but let's be honest, money is easy to give. In fact, there's a lot of money that's come in already. More uh, last week that came in. In fact, there's a, a QR code that they'll put up on the screen here for you. If you haven't given and you'd like to give, you can just scan that QR code. It takes you to our website, Adventist Giving. Just scroll down till you find you first, and you can give money there. Um, I reached out to them this last week. They will be here October 30th. Don't tell them. If you're watching online, just turn it off right now. They're coming on the 30th, and we will be blessing them with some money, which is cool. But what I think is even more powerful than money is time. What can we do as a church to wrap our arms around the foster families in our community through Commission 127? They've done the hard work. All we have to do is connect with them. So I'm going to close with a prayer. And in the middle of the prayer, I'm just going to leave a a pause, a moment for you to think. Because here's what I'm really asking today. Not so much for the money. I'm wondering if there's someone here this morning that God has put a burden on your heart to use your time to really help somebody else. And your role would be a ministry leader of our church that connects with Commission 127 that helps our church wrap their arms around foster kids. So let's just pray now, and in the middle of the prayer, I'll give you an opportunity to to listen to God. Heavenly Father, today as we think about generosity, we think about um, the selflessness of Jesus and how he came to be human so that we could have eternal life. This morning, God, I'm thinking about Commission 127. I'm thinking about the opportunity that's in front of us And God, I believe there's someone here this morning that has a burden on their heart to make an impact um, in the foster families that are right around us. So God, in the middle of this prayer, I'm just going to leave it open to allow you to speak to, to us now. God, thank you for pushing us and challenging us. May we be ever more generous as we strive to be deeper disciples. In Jesus' name, amen.